uh, um, it'll be good. We're excited about what we're going to be doing. We're excited about today at 1030. The children are going to be coming and singing for us. And uh, we uh, got a chance to hear them practicing the other night, and it sure was a blessing. They, they're going to bless us this morning at 1030. So y'all try to stay. Try to be here for that. It's going to be a, it'll be a blessing to you for sure. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless us. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for the the songs we've heard, thank you for who you are. Thank you for being our good Father. And God, we just ask that you would watch over us this morning as we come to uh, feast on your word. We come to take part in, in uh, what, you've, uh, what you've written, God, what you've penned for us, the, the letters that you've given us, the, the, the revelation of who you are, Lord. We ask that you would guide us as we read through it, God, as we study on it, as we uh, take it apart and put it back together just to just to hear what your uh, voice has spoken to us, Lord. We ask that you be with us today in this service and next service. Be with us as we learn about you in Sunday school. And we thank you for the fellowship. Thank you for this time of the year that we get to celebrate you, uh, you coming to earth and, and, uh, and uh, dying for us. And we, we love you and we thank you. And we just ask that you would guide our hearts today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, at Christmas, Christmas season is, I guess it's the, it's the good news season that Jesus came and was born in a manger. And if you've, uh, if you've been with us the last couple of Sundays, the last early services, we've, uh, we've been talking about the whole chapter two in Philippians is about, uh, who we're supposed to be. It's about, uh, it's about being humble, humbling yourself. That was the main theme in the whole chapter. Uh, it was to think on things of others. And if you're like me, I told you last week, uh, it was some pretty hard messages, you know, it's telling you, it's telling us what we ain't, you know, and tell us what we supposed to be. Uh, but we look at your life. I look at my life. I look at my heart. I look at all the things that I am, all the ways that, uh, that, uh, I think all the things that I do. And I, I just, I'm not who I'm supposed to be and you're not who you're supposed to be either. And that's why God is molding us and making us into, into the image of Christ as he is uh, conforming us daily. And so it's, it, it was some tough, it was some tough deals. He gave us last week, he gave us the examples of uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And he said, these are two men that you should honor. These men like these that, that are seeking after me, that have sacrificed for me, that uh, are, uh, are, are loving the body, that are investing themselves in the body, sacrificing for the people of God. You, you need to be like that and you need to model them and make them your example. Um, but that's a, uh, that's, to be honest, that's kind of depressing sometimes because I look at my life and I'm thinking, I'm not, I, I'm so far from that. I've got so long, I've got such a ways to go. Uh, I told you last week, sometimes that, that task just gets, it looks like it's so overwhelming. Uh, I, I don't know, you know, it's, it's easier just to walk off from it. You know, it's easier to say, look, that's impossible. Let me just move on to something else. Uh, well, he's going to shift gears here in chapter three as we begin. And he says at the beginning, the very first verse, after we've read all that about humbling yourself, about being who Christ has made you, investing yourself in the body, loving one another, uh, doing all these things, all these commands that we've been given, all these things that we're supposed to be. Uh, and if you just like me, you've looked and you've said, you know, I, I'm just I've got a long way to go. Uh, he says in verse one, something really strange. It's almost like he drops a clutch and shifts gears and grinds it into a new, into a new direction. He says, finally, brethren, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now, if you're thinking to me, thinking like I'm thinking, if you've just, if you're reading straight through the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians, uh, you're thinking, what? Rejoice? I mean, are you crazy? Uh, you just told me I need to humble myself and you just told me I need to sacrifice myself for the body. And uh, you just told me that I need to do all these things that I look at my own heart. And I look at my own life and 
you know, I got so far to go and, you know, I, I just feel, I feel like I'm not making the grade. I feel like I'm not doing uh, what I need to be doing. I, I feel like I'm, I'm just not where I'm supposed to be. I'm not who Christ wants me to be yet. And to be honest, if your heart's like mine, if you've been born again, spirit, God lives inside of you, then that hurts. You know, it's like, I, I'm not, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And so to say rejoice, it almost doesn't make sense. I mean, even even in Paul's perspective, he's in prison. Remember, the Philippians are being persecuted. They're worried about what's going to happen. Rejoice. Are you kidding? But you can't leave off that little bitty phrase that comes after it. It says rejoice in the Lord. Even though, even though we're going to see, even though, you know, I got, I do have a long way to go. And so do you. I know that uh, we look at our hearts and we, we thinking, you know, every time I, every time I get into the word and he tells me who Jesus is and who I am and why he had to come to save me and what he expects of me and what I'm supposed to be doing now. Every time I look into it, it's, it's a, it's a sword that cuts and it, it gets right down into your heart, into your soul and says, you know what? This is, this is not who you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be walking after my statutes. You're supposed to be keeping my commands. You're supposed to love me more than everything else in the world. And I catch myself stepping off and being convicted and chastised and disciplined. And, and God comes to correct my, my thinking and my behavior and all these things. But in the midst of all of this, if you took all of chapter two and we read all through that and you took all the things that Jesus was that we're called to be, that was the main thrust was have the mind of Christ. Let them, that this mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you who humbled himself and became obedient to death and all those things in the midst of all that, in the midst of looking at myself and saying, you know what? I, I, I'm not doing good in the midst of all that. We can rejoice because of who Christ is and what he's done. He says, our rejoice and our boast and our glory and our, all of that shouldn't be in ourselves anyway. It should be in the Lord. What you should be rejoicing in the Lord. That is the good news. It's, it's not dependent. Our rejoicing, our, our glorying, our reveling in, in who we are, what Christ has done. It's not dependent on my performance. I know that's a, that's an amazing statement, but it's not dependent upon my performance. If my, my relationship with God, my, my, uh, standing before the father, if my, if my, uh, if my peace that passes understanding that is uh, favor given to me by God, if that depends on how good I'm doing, uh, you can chunk it out the window right now because it's going to be gone. If it depends on how uh, pure I keep my thoughts, how pure my love is for you guys, how pure my, my love is for the body of Christ or how, uh, how successful I am in keeping everything in the world down away from the status that God is supposed to occupy in my heart. If it depends on my performance, I don't have no reason to rejoice. I guarantee you that. I don't have no reason to rejoice at all. And if you're honest, neither do you. We don't have any reason to rejoice if we are putting our stock in what we're doing. Our stock in our own works, our own goodness, our own religion, our own rituals, our own stuff. If we're putting any stock in that with uh, with God's, if I'm basing my, my status with God, my relationship with God, my favor with God on any of that, you don't have no reason to rejoice. I don't have any reason whatsoever to rejoice because I'm not making the grade. 
And you're not either. But it doesn't say that after all this convicting things that we've been told, all these things that, and it's rightly should be convicting. If you have a heart that's filled with the Holy Spirit, it will be convicting when you realize that we're supposed to be like Jesus. We're called to be, at a, uh, he is our example. We're called to model his behavior and let him change us and love the body like he, like he did. And so we're called to do that. And if you're like me and saw all this convicting stuff, you're almost thinking, man, this is the, the most depressing thing I've ever felt. This is the most depressing thing I've ever heard. But it, it shouldn't be depressing and it shouldn't lead us to despair because that's not where our rejoicing comes from. You're supposed to feel convicted. When the word of God is preached, you're supposed to feel convicted when you look into your own heart and you see that I'm not who I'm supposed to be yet. You're supposed to feel that weight that says, you know what, I've got to strive to reach the goal. I've got to I've got to try to apprehend that thing that's apprehended me. I've got to reach for the prize of this high calling. You're supposed to feel that desire. But that's not where your rejoicing comes from. That's not where your boasting comes from. Your boasting comes from the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did, his work, his sufficiency. He is sufficient. God said, he said, my grace is sufficient for you. When you stand before God, if I, if I drop dead right now on this platform or if you right there as you are listening and you are in Christ Jesus, I don't care what's going on in your life. I don't care what struggles you have. I don't care what things God right now is chastising you over or molding you in or making you in or growing you in. If you are in Christ Jesus, you will stand before God and he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Not because you were so wonderful, but because Jesus died for your sins and he paid for that relationship that you have with the father. So our rejoicing is in the Lord. He said, finally, my brethren, after all the is, it's almost amazing to me. I keep repeating myself, but that whole last chapter just ate me up, you know, about how you don't love the brethren like you're supposed to, and you're not doing like you're supposed to. And, you know, and then finding this, the first word he says, okay, now we got through all that. Let's rejoice. Are you crazy? Rejoice, rejoice. But he says, rejoice in the Lord. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Incidentally, that's a command. That's a command. Rejoice in the Lord. He's, that's a command to rejoice in the Lord. That's where our rejoicing is supposed to be. He says, to write the same things to you. He's told us to rejoice a couple of times already. Before this book's over, he's going to say rejoice a bunch of times. Again, I say rejoice. He's going to say in the next chapter. He says, to write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grieveth, Grievous, look at it, but for you, it's safe. He says it's not grievous. It's not grievous for Paul to say, look, rejoice in the Lord. In fact, it's something that he is going to repeat over and over again. It's something that you and I need to hear over and over again. Because to be honest, I don't know about you guys. I may just be talking to me today and for good reason. I have a, I, I have a proclivity to fall back into a works mindset. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that I'll fall back into the mindset of I'm earning my salvation or anything like that, but you know, I'll, I'll feel bad if I'm not doing good and think, well, God, sure, man, God is just not pleased with me today. And maybe he's not pleased with my actions, but he's pleased with me in Jesus Christ. And then so I, I may, but on the other hand, I may be doing something real good. I may, I may, uh, 
you know, go visit somebody or, or, or go minister to somebody or go just do something really sacrificial. And I'll be walking tall then. Oh, God, so happy with me. Man, I've done I've done the deal today. It's easy to fall into that. Understand, God will be pleased with you. He'll bless you when you sacrifice yourself. But that doesn't add to the standing that Jesus Christ gave you. And so our rejoicing is only in the Lord. And Paul's saying, look, it's not burdensome for me to keep telling you the same thing over and over again. Some people get tired of hearing the gospel over and over again. It reminds me in the first chapter of Romans, Paul said, look, I'm looking forward to coming and seeing you guys. He's writing to the church at Rome. He says, because I want to preach the gospel to you. If you were a Christian in Rome, you're thinking, what do you need to preach the gospel to me for? I'm a Christian. But that's what he did over and over again. You need to have it banged into your head. And so do I. That is the whole focus of who we are. That's the whole focus of how we live. That's the whole focus of everything that goes on in our Christian life. You keep your eyes turned upon Jesus and the gospel. He says, it's not grievous. It's not burdensome for me to keep rattling on and telling you the same thing over and over and over again. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the the Lord. This is what you need. Look, he says, it's not grievous for me, but look what he says for you. If I keep on rattling on, if I keep on repeating myself and saying, look, rejoice in the Lord. I'm just telling you rejoice in the Lord. I mean, you need to do this. You need to humble yourself. You need to love the brethren. You need to invest your life just like Timothy and Epaphroditus and what we saw in the last chapter. But I'm going to keep telling you the gospel is a completed action and you can rejoice in what Jesus Christ did. I'm going to keep on telling you that over and over and over and over again. And if I do that, he says, it's safe for you. Do you understand what it means? It means without that, we're in danger. We're in danger. He says, look, it's not grievous for me. It's not burdensome for me. It doesn't hurt my feelings. It doesn't, it's not irksome for me just to keep on telling you, you need to rejoice in the Lord. You need to rejoice in who he is and who you are in him and what he's done for you. It's not burdensome for me. He said, but it's for you. It's safe. You're in danger. He gives two commands in this, in this deal. He says, first rejoice in the Lord. And in verse two, the second command is, Beware. He says, beware of the dogs, of the evil workers. Beware of the concision. I'll tell you what that means in just a second. And then in verse three, he says, this is the reason why you beware them. Because we are the circumcision. The ones who worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. Didn't he just say that? Rejoice in the Lord. And we don't have any confidence at all in the flesh. Now, he says, look, it's safe for you. It's safe for you for me to keep telling you the gospel, for me to keep pushing you to rejoice in the gospel, for me to keep telling you that you must rejoice in who you are in Christ Jesus. I know you got struggles. I know you got things going on. I know you got areas in your life that God is still molding and making and he's growing you into who he wants you to be. I know that. And I know it hurts. If you're a believer, you want to grow faster. You want to be better than who you are. And you keep falling to the same old mud hole and you think, what's wrong with me? I understand all that. The conviction that goes on with all that and all of that deal. But that's not where our rejoicing comes from. Our rejoicing comes from the Lord. 
And our rejoicing comes from rejoicing in the Lord, I should say, in the gospel and what he has done. And the reason it's safe for you to focus on the gospel, to preach the gospel to yourself, to keep the gospel center to everything is because you have some enemies and these enemies, what they want to do in any way that they can, in any way, shape or form, in lots of different areas, they want to push you off from keeping your eyes turned on the uh, work of what Jesus did on the cross. That's all that they want to do. And they'll do it a bunch of different ways. It'll be, you know, it'll come at you with the bait that you like. It'll come with you, at you with your thing. But the whole thing in a nutshell is to get you off of the gospel. To get you thinking, man, I'm doing good today. I've really, I've really hit it out of the park. God's probably a lot happier with me. Or to get you thinking, I ain't nobody. I'm just terrible. God can't love somebody like me. God can't accept me. I'm so terrible. They want to get you thinking about how good you're doing or how bad you're doing and not about what Jesus did, not about the cross, not about the resurrection. He says, let me, I want to show you these people back in verse two. He says, you need to beware of the dogs. You need to beware of the evil workers. You need to beware of the concision. The the word concision means the cutter, the mutilator. And what he's talking about is these guys. We saw them in Galatians. Paul writes about them in three or four different books. These guys that were coming in and they they call them Judaizers. And what they wanted to do was they would would say Jesus is good and Jesus is the Messiah and we need to do that. But they wanted to also circumcise you. They want to also add some laws of Moses. They want to also put the whole Jewish thing on you and say, you need to keep these laws and these laws. Now, Jesus is a good start. Jesus is a good place. That's 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 a that's a good way to get the door open. But once you're in through the door of Jesus, now you've got to keep all these laws. Now you've got to come and you've got to be like us. You've got to keep all these religious festivals and feasts. You've got to be circumcised and all those kind of things. I take all three of these things. The dogs, the evil workers that the Jews call the Gentiles dogs in a lot of different places. Uh, the evil workers and the concision to mean the same kind of people, people that add laws. And I'll tell you why. Because in the very next verse, it says in verse two, it says, beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the concision. That's the ones who cut, mutilate himself. He's talking about circumcision. And then he says four in verse three. Why do you beware of them? Because we are the circumcision. He says, beware of those guys that are cutting on themselves. You know, he's talking about circumcision. He's talking about people that would say, now, Jesus is good and he's the Messiah. But we want you to add this one thing. You need to add this circumcision if you want to be part of us. Paul says, no, we are the circumcision. We are the circumcision. He's saying we are the people of God. You know, of course, you know, the circumcision, it, it. It marked the people of God in the Old Testament. Paul's saying, look, we are the people of God. And look who he describes. Remember, Paul's Jewish guy and he's circumcised guy. He's one of them. And if we'll keep reading through four, four, verse four through seven, we're going to see he's going to list all his Jewish accomplishments. You know, I'm a, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, Pharisee, on the, circumcised on the eighth day. He's going to list all of those here from verse four to verse uh, seven. He says, but here as a circumcised Jew, he's talking to the Philippians who are mostly Gentiles. And he says, all of us together, me, Paul, and you, Philippians, we're the true circumcision. We're the true people of God. And look who it is that's the true people of God. It's the ones who worship God in the spirit. 
We don't have to go to the temple, don't have to sacrifice the animals, don't have to wear the clothes that the priests wore, don't have to try to walk through a veil, don't have to be circumcised in order to be part of the people of God, don't have to add any religious works, any ritual, anything, anything to be done. We worship God in spirit. He told that woman at the well, John 4, he said, look, time's coming and is now here. Well, you're not going to worship in that mountain. You're not going to worship in that mountain. But God seeks worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. And so we worship in the spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us because of what Jesus did by going away. He said, I'll send the Holy Spirit and he will come and he will live in you. And that is how we commune with God. His spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the people of God. He says, we are the circumcision, those who worship God in the spirit and those who rejoice in Christ Jesus. We boast in Jesus. We glory in Jesus. We rejoice in Jesus. We don't have any confidence whatsoever in the flesh, which means nothing that I do, nothing that I say, nothing that I can accomplish, nothing that I can, you know, no marks that I can put on me, no circumcision or anything like that. I'm pretty sure you're not going to leave today and go out to Dairy Queen and somebody say, hey, I need to circumcise you if you want to be. But they're going to add something. They're going to try to add something and it's going to say, you're going to think they're going to be like, you know, you're right. We agree. We agree totally. The only thing I'm saying is I, I want to add this one thing, whatever it is. I want to add this one little thing. I mean, 99%, we agree on 99% of the stuff. I just need to add this one thing. There's some guys that, that I, at the hospital that that's how they talk. We're saying the same thing. We agree 99.9%. The only thing we say different is you got to add this. And I say, according to Paul, that destroys the whole thing. That destroys the sufficiency of Christ because he says the ones who are the circumcision, he's using that for the people of God. We are the circumcision. We are the people of God. The ones who are the people of God have no confidence in the flesh whatsoever. And that's why we rejoice in the, that's why we rejoice in Jesus Christ. That's why the, 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 the rejoicing of my heart doesn't depend on how good I'm doing. Of course, I'm going to be convicted. Of course, I'm going to be, uh, you know, uh, spurred to do better and to serve God and to love his people and to and to to serve him in the way that his spirit leads me to serve him. And according to what his word said, of course, I'm going to obey his commands. But that's not the basis of my rejoicing. I have no confidence whatsoever in my flesh. When I stand before God, when you stand before God, nothing that you have ever done or said or thought will be allowed in as evidence as to whether you should be admitted into the kingdom of heaven. The only thing that will be asked, the only evidence that will be allowed in that trial, if you want to call it that, is did Jesus pay for my sin. And if he did, if I accepted the fact that he paid my sin for my sin, then I'm absolutely perfect in the father's eyes. There's no need for me to offer evidence because the verdict is not guilty. The verdict is, is justified. If he if I have refused that payment. There is absolutely no evidence that I can offer that's going to add anything to my case. In fact, all the evidence, you can take what, you know, I helped my, my mama, I helped my grandmama, I helped the lady across the street, gave to the homeless. 
whatever. You put it on, went to church every Sunday, whatever. You put whatever you want in that category. That's, if, if you don't have Jesus, that's actually taken away. It's actually taken away from your righteousness. You'll go and you'll produce all that evidence to God and say, look how good I was. And he'll say, all I see is evil. All I see is evil works. Look what Paul says. Verse 4. You might think, now Paul, you're talking to these Philippians. They really don't have no righteousness. And you're just trying to convince them. And so, I mean, it's easy for somebody ain't got nothing to say you don't need nothing. But Paul says, look, if you want to compare, if you want to compare goodness according to the flesh, uh, I'm the man. I'm the man and I I would skunk all y'all. That's what Paul would say to these guys who are are saying that you need this religion, need this circumcision. He says, verse four, he says, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I'm more. And then he lists seven accomplishments, seven uh, things that the world would say good. These religious guys would say are awesome. Four of them he inherited by being born. He was born into it. And three of them he accomplished. He said in verse five, he was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel. He was born. He wasn't converted to being a Jewish person. He was born into this thing. He was born into the if they want to call it the family of God or the lineage of God. That's what they were saying. You have to be part of this lineage of God. Paul said, look, I was born into it. I'm from the stock of Israel. My parents circumcised me on the eighth day. I didn't get it when I was converted. I got it from birth. He said, I was from the stock of Israel. He said, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. And that would have been a big deal to them because when the, when the, I'm not going to give you a huge history lesson, but when the nation split, uh, uh, after the time of Solomon, 10 tribes went to the north, two tribes went to the south, Judah and Benjamin were those two tribes. And those two tribes were the only two that stayed faithful to David and his lineage. So that would have been a big deal to, for him to say, look, I'm from Benjamin. I'm not one. Of, I'm not one of those 10 that took off and went somewhere else. He said, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. He says, a Hebrew of the Hebrews as touching the law. He said, I'm a Pharisee. He says, we kept the law better than any of y'all. Of course, we, we kept it so good, we even added our own laws. We added our own laws because, you know, we, we didn't think God's laws were strict enough, so we added some more. We added some more so we could do so. You can't really talk to me about keeping law. He said concerning zeal, he says, if you want to talk about zealous for God and for the law and for religion and for Jewishness, he said, I persecuted the church and it's well known. You know exactly what Paul did. He said, touching the righteousness, which is in the law. He's saying, if you want to say that the, the law brings righteousness, I was blameless. I kept it all. I did as good as any man could possibly do. He said, all the things that you say are necessary for these guys to start doing in order to be righteous. I had it going on. I had it going on better than you did. Paul would say, but then verse seven is probably where we'll stop. I'm going to go into the next section. Maybe, maybe next time we won't have service early service next week. Verse seven, he says, but all these things, everything that I got, let me read it to you. But what things were gained to me? He says, the things that were gained, all these things that you would say, if he's talking to these people, you would say was evidence at my trial. I'm standing before God. So I'm going to bring in the fact, hey, I'm Abraham's, I'm Abraham's descendant. 
I'm David's descendant. I was faithful to the line of David. I was born into the house of Israel. I'm part of God's people by, by right, by inheritance, you know. And besides that, a Pharisee, I kept the laws. Uh, I kept the law so good, I even made up some laws around your laws so I wouldn't even get close to your laws, you know. I, I kept the law. I was zealous when I thought that the, the Christians were doing wrong. I went after them. And according to he says, all these things that you would say, or evidence that I'm in and I got it. He says, I've counted those as loss. I've counted those as loss. Let me read the next verse. He says, yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of knowing of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dumb that I may win Christ. He says, look, now imagine this for a minute. I mean, how offensive could you get? I'm, I'm a religious guy and I'm standing in front of Paul and these Philippians and I'm saying, oh, Philippians, y'all are doing good. Y'all are doing good. Jesus is right and Jesus is the Messiah and we believe in him and it's all good. But he's just the first step. He's not the whole deal. He's not the whole deal. He's just the first beginning uh, to get you into the kingdom. Now that you are as a Gentile in the kingdom, you have to start doing all these things that we were born into. You have to start being circumcised. You have to start keeping this law and you have to start doing these festivals and going to the temple and doing all these things. You have to do all of these things in order to be righteous with God, in order to live righteously before God, in order to be accepted by God. Jesus is a good start to this thing, but you've got to get all of these things done. Paul stands up in the middle and I'm just kind of giving you this from my imagination. Paul stands up on the other side and he says, look, I'll have you know. That I was born into this thing and I did all what you said to do. I've been circumcised just like you said. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I was a, a law abiding according to your law, according to your righteousness. I did exactly what you said. I went to the temple every week. I sacrificed every week. I did everything that was supposed to be done. In fact, I did it more than you did. He said, I take all that and bundle it up and I count it as poo. It's dung. That word. I love that word. It's uh, you don't care about the Greek word, but it's an offensive word. It'd be like, I mean, it would be like if I stood up here and said the word for human excrement, that's ba a bad word. You would go, I can't believe he said that. That's the that's the reaction Paul wants here when he uses this word. It's it's, it's exactly what it means. Dung, poo. He says, I count what you're saying that I have to have in order to be righteous with God, in order to rejoice in the Lord Jesus, in order to rejoice in the fact that God loves me and God is I'm righteous before him. And I don't have anything to worry about when it comes to my I'm taking all of that that you're saying that I need and I'm putting it in a pile and I'm counting it as waste. I'm counting it as. Yeah, that. And he says. And I'll take that, you take that whole pile of dung. And he says, I'll, I'll give you all that just for the excellency, the betterness of knowing being in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I've suffered the loss of all things. He said, I've given up. Paul didn't just give up his religion and his, I mean, think about what he did. He was, I mean, he was a prestigious guy. You know, he was trained under Gamaliel and, you know, he 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 was he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I mean, he was 
He was the guy. He had the robes and the, you know, the fancy stuff standing out on the street corner praying where everybody was like, wow, look how religious he is. Look how righteous he is. God must really love him. He was a prestigious guy. And then one moment on the road to Damascus, he changed. God changed him. Jesus appeared to him, changed him. And from that moment until the day that he died, he had, by the world standards, absolutely nothing. He went from place to place. He was beaten, tortured, put in jail. I mean, he suffered the loss of literally all things, all worldly things, so that he could know Christ. And it's almost like he's saying right here at the very end of this verse, and this is where we end. It's almost like he's saying, you can't have both. You can't take all this religion that you're thinking is going to want, is going to all this ritual that all these works that are going to add to your. You can't say that God loves me because of that. God has accepted me because of that. God is pleased with me because of that. I am accepted in a child of God because of all of these works. He says you can either you got a choice. You can either choose to put all that on the scale and hope that God accepts it, or you can choose to throw all that away that I may win Christ, is what he says at the very end. He says, it's one or the other. He says, I count all of that dung so that, so that I can win Christ. I can be awarded Christ. Understand, he's not saying that I, that I, I work for it. He's saying I don't. That's the point. I take all of those works. I take all of that stuff. I take all of that ritual, all of that stuff that's supposed to make me righteous and all of the things that I do, all the works that I do. And I put all that in a pile. When it comes to being righteous before God, I don't let any of that come into the picture. I live that way because I love Christ and because Christ has changed me and he saved me. And so I do for him and I do work for him and my faith causes me to work for him. But I don't let any of that come into the picture when we're talking about how I am right before God. I don't let any of that come into the picture when we're talking about why I rejoice in the Lord Jesus, where my joy comes from, where my peace comes from. He said, I count all of that stuff. As dung so that I can win Christ. And so if we go all the way back to the very first verse in chapter 3, the command here, he says, rejoice in the Lord. Do you understand the reason? Do you understand you and I rejoice in the Lord if we've been saved? We rejoice in the Lord, not in our own goodness, not in our own badness. Not in our own getting better, if that's a way to put it. We, we rejoice in the Lord. We rejoice in the gospel because he died for my sins. And so even though I got, I got stuff, you got stuff, we're working on our stuff. God's working through us to get our stuff out. But that's not where rejoicing comes from. We rejoice in the Lord because he has paid the penalty. We are the children of God. We are the circumcision because we worship God in spirit. And we don't put any confidence in our flesh. We don't put any confidence in our flesh at all. And so Paul says that's very important. The whole Jew-Gentile thing, that's, that's broken down. 
He says, I, Paul, and you Philippians, we are the circumcision because we worship God in spirit. And we don't put, isn't it it easy to put confidence in your flesh? Especially, especially if you're doing pretty good. Oh, it's so easy. It's so easy to say, I'm doing better than they are. Well, at least I I ain't like that guy. The cross is on level ground and we're all level in front of him. And so here's the thing. Today, you're either, I've said it a hundred times and I know you've heard it a million times. You're either perfect in Christ Jesus. And if you are, we should rejoice in the Lord. We should glory in the Lord, boast in the Lord. And if you're not, the only thing you have is dung to offer the Lord. When you stand before him, you'll say, Ooh, I, I, went to, I went to church. I went to, I, I, I gave money. I fed the homeless. I, whatever, you know, you, a whole life, a whole life full of doing the best you can, doing good. When you try to hand that to Christ, it'll be dung. You ever had, I mean... You ever, when I, I'm not going to tell you a story. You ever had poo in your hand? Not like, like dog poo or something. I used to have this little dog when I was in college and this dog would go into, it was, we lived in a house and one of the other roommates, the dog would go into the other roommate's room and he would poo on his clothes that he laid in the floor. He would get so mad. And one day he'd come in with poo in his hand dog poo i mean he just picked it up and he threw it at me and it, you know he's mad because my dog was it's it's nasty i mean it's it's nasty it's disgusting uh, it's not like having mud on you or being dirty or, it, it's disgusting and he says all your works all the things that you can do good all the things that you are are thinking are are making you better in my sight or right with me, you understand that's, that's just disgusting. It's just revolting and nasty. He said, you put all of that to the side and understand that you, you have to have the righteousness that only Christ can give. And if you have that righteousness, you have everything you need for life and godliness. You have everything you need to rejoice in this life as well as the next, no matter what goes on. No matter what's happening in your life, no matter what sufferings you go through, no matter what chastisement God is bringing you through, you and I can rejoice in the Lord. Bow your heads with me just for a moment. Father, we love you. God, we thank you that we can rejoice in in what you've done. Not in who we are, not in what we are are accomplishing for you. We know that you've already told us even in in this letter that it's God who works to will and to do in us. Father, we ask that you would be with us, Lord, as we hear the truth of what you say, said here and that your spirit would come and convict. Today, if you are here, understand that there are only two ways that God can see you. If you're saying, I'm doing pretty good and I'm, 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 doing, as, I'm doing better than most people, and I, I know I don't have it going on, but I, 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 I surely am doing better than 90% of the people out there. And you're thinking God's looking at that and saying, yeah, you're probably right. 
understand if you add any of that to what Christ has done, you're lost. That denies what Jesus has done. He says that you have to confess your sin. The hardest thing to do, the hardest thing ever to do is for a religious person to admit that they are lost. It would be easier to leap over a tall building in a single bound than for a religious man, woman, boy or girl to admit that they're lost and let go of all of that religion, let go of all of that works righteousness, let go of all of that. But if you come to that point, if the Holy Spirit is drawing you 